Good morning, guys. There you go. Hey. That was that showed some signs of life. Uh, it's cool to see the uh, Dale Amen corner here for a Sunday that he's not speaking. Maybe he told you he was speaking. That's why you showed up. I don't know, but that's, that's cool. We'll take it. That's a cool bonus. Thanks, everybody, for uh, being here in our journey of planting a new church called Doxa. We're just, uh, I don't know, a couple months into it on Sunday mornings, and uh, we, I, I, I say something every week about it, that what we're trying to do is we're not trying to build a service that a lot of people come to, that we hope a lot of people end up coming. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a culture, that what we have in mind when we talk about planning a church in Myrtle Beach is we have in mind a community of people who are gathered around the person of Jesus Christ, who have found grace and faith in him, that have found the meaning for life in him, who have been renewed in life, who have, who have uh, found the treasure. Jesus talked about finding the kingdom of God is sort of like a man who finds a treasure, and we believe that we have found that. And so we want, we, when we picture a church, we picture a community of people who have found that treasure, the reason for life, who are living life together, sharing life deeply. Because the, the truth is that there's no such thing as Christianity in a vacuum. There's no, if you read the Bible cover to cover, I challenge you to find the picture that Christianity is just between you and God and nobody else. That the picture of Christianity is a picture of, of people who are broken and messed up, who are struggling together on mission. And that's the mission that Jesus gave us to do. It's not like the mission that I came up with one day. Like I had uh, you know, some Twinkies too late and I dreamed and had this kind of crazy dream about doing something weird like start a church. And by the way, it is a weird thing to, to help to start a church. It's kind of crazy. Uh, you can ask Dale and others, the, other, the rest of the team that have been on this journey from the beginning. It's sort of a crazy undertaking. I mean, we have... We all have full-time jobs, we have families, we have marriages, we have whatever going on, and for some reason we said, hey, let's add this crazy thing to on top of it all. But the reason is because we believe and we know that there are tons of people on the Grand Strand who haven't experienced what we have experienced. They have not found the treasure that we have found. What we have found. So we want to join together as a community on mission to see the people all around the Grand Strand discover that treasure. That's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to have an event. We're trying to create a culture that is gathered around that. So to that end, we've been working through the book of Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a book written by the, a guy named uh, Paul. Uh, before that, he was called Saul. He, he, the difference between before he found Jesus and after he found Jesus was so stark that he, his whole name was changed. His whole identity was changed afterwards. And he became a church planter. I'm not saying we're like him, but we're following his, somehow in his footsteps. And he showed up in the city of Ephesus, a major city, and he planted a church there. Now, a few years later, he's riding back to the church in Ephesus and the area surrounding it, and he's reminding them of what he had taught them while he was there. He's reminding them about the truth of the gospel that, they had, uh, that he had shared with them, that planted the whole church, started the whole thing in the beginning. And the cool thing, that the, the one reason that we're looking at it is because it's a, a letter to a successful church plant. One day we'll work through the book of Corinthians, the first book and the second book, and that's a really encouraging two books to read because it's, it's a book, it's letters that are written to a church plant that had kind of gone off the rails. He said, you guys are really cool, but you have some really whacked out stuff that is going on in your midst, and let me tell you about that. And that's the truth. Like, 
Christianity, I mean, have you guys, how many guys here, you kind of grew up in church, you've been around church for a long time, you know, you're not, you're not new to the deal, oh, almost everybody, so you know the deal, hopefully, church is full of messed up people, and uh, that's, that's sort of the deal, but this time, he's writing to a church that's messed up, but it's a successful church plant that he's writing to, and so we're going to jump in, in uh, the verses, verses eight through nine today is what we're going to be covering, and Honestly, I, I've been struggling with this text this week as I've been thinking about it, praying about it, working on it. It's not that there's not much to say about this verse. It's just that these two verses is that these two verses are a summary of what he's been writing so far in chapter two, verses one through seven. He's summarizing what he's been talking about. And it's such a beautiful, succinct summary in itself that it's almost like, it, it explains itself, if you will. So let's read this text, and then I'm going to try to explain a text that explains itself, and then we're going to see what happens with that, all right? Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's read it again, verse 8. In verse 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we're going to cover this verse next week, and I'll go ahead and read it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, America is a great country to live in. Uh, because we have a lot of freedoms. We have a lot of opportunity. In fact, America is called the land of opportunity. It's based upon a dream. We call it the American dream. And so the idea is that if, if you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do, be whatever you want to be, then you have the encouragement that whatever you want to be and whatever you want to do, you can be that and you can do it. If you have hard work, if you have some pluck, if you have determination, then you can quote, make something out of your life. America is what we call a meritocracy. It's based upon your own merit. So in some societies you're in, you may be a really good businessman or you may be uh, really smart, but just because of the, uh, the neighborhood you're born into, the family you're born into, the, that you're on the wrong side of the track, you're on the wrong uh, section of society, you're mar- remember the wrong cast in India, but whatever the case may be, some, for some reason you're behind the eight ball and there's, there's nothing laying out before you that you can improve your life. Your life is gonna be the way it was when you were a kid, the way it was when you were a teenager, the way it was, you're gonna die that way. That's just the system that you're in. I've been to India twice. Uh, last time I was there, I was in the, uh, the region, a state called Bihar. It is one of the poorest areas in the entire world. It's about the size of Tennessee, and it has 100 million people that live there in a, in a state the size of Tennessee. They are everywhere, and it's incredibly, incredibly poor. I've been to a, another section of India called Bangalore. It's down on the south end of, of India, sort of the Silicon Valley of India. And there, there is some opportunity because the, there's burgeoning technology. There's a lot of growth. So if you can get educated, then you can, your, your life is like you can improve your life. You can improve your family's life. You can improve things drastically. But in Bihar, there's no opportunity. The technological advancement that has happened in India has just passed it by. It's just the way it is. The way that you were born, 
the kind of life that you were born into, that's the, that's the village that you're going to live in, that's the kind of hut you're going to live in, that you're going to do what your parents did and what their parents did and what their parents did before that for the rest of your life. But in America, there's opportunity that's laid ahead of you. And the only thing that's stopping you from uh, fame, fortune, whatever, whatever your dream is, whatever the American dream is, that's the beauty of the American dream, but it differs from one person to the next. So the only thing that's holding you back from fulfilling your American dream is your ability, your strength. So, but the problem with that is that not all of us are equally gifted. Not all of us are equally talented. No matter whether you got like a, you know how you you get trophies now for just like showing up and competing or just being in a talent show, everybody gets a ribbon. You know, they're all horrible, but one person was really great, but they all get the same ribbon. Well, that's that's not what a life is like in America. Your talent sets you apart from other people. So there's some people that are naturally very talented. There's some people that are naturally very smart. There are some people who are naturally very beautiful. In America, that's probably the best thing you can be. Like, it's really good to be smart, but the best thing to be is to be beautiful in America because life is going to just lay out in front of you. Because beautiful people get promotions. Beautiful people get in the hot clubs. Beautiful people get preference in society. It's, it, I've mentioned it before, but if, if you were to give most people true serum and ask them, you're about to have a child, would you rather this child be incredibly smart or incredibly beautiful or incredibly handsome? They would tell you, I want to be incredibly beautiful or handsome because their life is just a lot easier. It's just, and you can't help it. Some of us, at some point in life, we realize, it may be elementary school, it may be further on, you realize like, okay, I'm not one of the pretty ones or I'm not one of the smart ones, or I'm not one of the athletic ones. So maybe you hold on to it for a long time and finally your wife tells you, honey, that's not you. You're not all that strong. You, you know, somebody finally speaks truth to you and tells you, you, but somewhere along the way you realize, I don't stack up. There's a pecking order and I don't make meet them in this category. And so what we usually do is we usually find some category that we excel in. It could be anything. It could be business, it could be cooking. Maybe like you don't have a lot of education, you're not all that beautiful, you're, you're not all that talented, but you can cook and people respond when you cook and so you pour your sort of value and your sort of, uh, in life, your, your merits into your ability to cook and that people come and they sit around your table and they fawn over your cooking. Maybe it's, maybe it is your athletic skill, or maybe it's your intelligence, or maybe it's your, that you're good with your hands. But there's something about you that you have found. Like I have merit in this, and you put all your chips in this one basket. I'm all in on this. This is this is my deal. I'm really good at scrapbooking. I'm an excellent, amazing scrapbooker. I have no idea what that means, but I I don't know. I guess there's levels of scrapbooking. Like somebody is just a great scrapbooker. They they can do the deal. I have no idea what it is, but you put your merit. You put your value in something, and you're going to excel in that area that you can find a way to excel in. But we are cognizant, we're aware that there are other areas of gifting and talent that I don't stack up in. So we have this sort of scale on one side that we call the American dream. And what happens is when you find your area that you excel in, then you put all your chips in and you pour yourself into that, and then If you succeed in that area, you're able to call yourself and people around you call you a success. But if you don't, if you fail, 
that you considered what? A failure. You don't stack up. So it's a dangerous scale that we get in the American dream in that if you succeed, then you get puffed up with pride. But if you're not very good, you feel feel ultra depressed and you feel like a failure. And now there's a whole other scale I want to talk about on the other side. You have the American dream in one system, then on the other side we're going to call it American religion. Or, or maybe we'll call it Southern religion. How many of you guys grew up in, uh, everybody grew up in church. How many of you guys grew up in the South? Anybody? Well, sort of majority of the people grew up in the South. So in the South, we have, uh, we have what we call cultural Christianity. That's, that is, you're, you're born a Christian like you're born a Jew or a Muslim or you're born African-American or you're born Indian, you're born white, pasty white like me. This happens to be the, what, the, what you're born into. That's who you are. And so we have this sort of idea that, that, uh, that it, we're just Christianity equals growing up in church, being good, being a good moral person, right? And so in our churches, in our youth groups, in our Sunday school classes, what were we told? We told, don't do, dr- don't do drugs, don't cuss, don't drink, and don't sex around. And then, you know, things will be all right. And so we have things like, I, I participated in this, actually. So you have things like you go to youth group events. Maybe you did this, maybe you did You go to a youth group event and... Uh, Somebody hands a rose and they say, pass it around the room. Everybody smell the rose. And then it gets to the end. The last person holds it because everybody's handled the rose. It's all tattered and torn and bruised and petals are falling off. And they're like, this is what you're like when you sleep around. Everybody takes a little bite and everybody smells you and everybody gets all up in your business. And this is what's left. You're a broken rose. So don't go out. Don't go out and sleep around. And drug, sex, rock and roll, it's all bad. Don't do it. Don't go down that path. If you're a good person, it's sort of implied if you're a good person, then that's success. If you're a bad person, that's failure. And some of us, by nature, by discipline, by discipline of our parents, by natural disposition, we're pretty good at walking that road. We're generally good people. We don't cuss too much. I mean, we have a sliding skill, right? Like, like there's gratuitous cussing, and then there's cussing when it's like when it's worth it, right? So, so like, so somebody who's a gratuitous cusser, they're just like throwing them all around all the time. You're like, oh, that's terrible. But then, you know, if you drop something that's over five pounds on your big toe, then it's okay to cuss. Like, this one has a sort of sliding scale. If somebody pulls out in front of you, you can't cuss. If you get in an accident, you can cuss. Like, we sort of have this sort of interior, unspoken sliding scale of when it's okay and when it's not. And if you're on the right side of the scale, you're generally following the rules, then you're okay. Some people are naturally nicer than other people. They're not sleeping around. They're not doing drugs. or They're, or they're not drinking, or at least they're not drinking when other people see them. Right, like you, you do the secret wine in your house when you make sure, like you pull the you pull the blinds, you make sure nobody's around, you lock the door, then you put on some Barry White, and then, then we can have some wine, right? Kind of loosen things up. Then it's okay, but you know there's the gratuitous drinking, and then there's the secret drinking. It's sort of we we have this system where you kind of got it or whether you don't. The problem is there's some of us that are naturally better at that than others, and some of us that aren't. We could call it a talent. Maybe you're gifted and talented and being a good person. Maybe it's because your parents would whip the heck out of you if you did the wrong thing, or maybe it's just because you, you believe you should be a good person and you're trying to follow the rules. 
Some of us are naturally better. And so we, we sort of have a sliding scale on the other side. You have the American dream on this side of success and failure, but you have the same sliding scale on the other side in American religion or Southern religion, where if you're generally a good person, you're successful at the whole Christianity thing. And then there are some of us, you know those people that are part of the church, who they just can't get their stuff together. They're always a mess. You know, if they're married, they're always having trouble in their relationship. If they have kids, their kids are always unruly. They're always having trouble. They're always messing up. They're always falling down. And they're down sort of the the failure end of this sliding scale of American religion. And so we sort of have this pecking order in church where you have the good people who look like we have it all together, and then you have the people who are just the failures, and they cannot seem to get their junk together. They're always falling apart. The problem with these two scales is that God doesn't have any respect for either one of those. If you're on the success end of the American dream scale or you're on the failure end, neither one is impressive to God. He considers it absolutely irrelevant in regards to your relationship with him. But you know what we're doing whenever we're, we're looking for success? So at the moment, we think about it that we're just trying to succeed in business and provide for myself or provide for my family. I want to send my kids to a good college. Or I want my kids to grow up in a better environment than I grew up in. So I want them to be in a better neighborhood. I want them to go to a better school. I want them to wear, I was always embarrassed about the clothes that I wore as a kid. They were hand-me-downs. They weren't what's cool. I remember, I, I was me, I, I had a, remember I, I went to school one day, and they, my, I was proud of the new shoes I had on until my friends told me, you're wearing Bobos. And I don't know if Bobos meant what they meant in your school, but in, in, our, in our school, that meant they, they weren't what you wanted to wear. They weren't the Nikes. They weren't the, the, the Jordans. They were the shoes you, that you got if you were poor, if you didn't have money. So, but whatever, so I, I had to wear Bobo, so I want my kids to wear some nice Nikes. I wanted to wear the cool shoes when they're at school and not get made fun of. We think about it that way, but what we're really looking for is we're looking for righteousness. I'm looking for right standing. I'm looking for success. I want to feel that I have been made right, that I have right standing with the people around me, that I have right standing with myself, that I think things are good, things are okay. I want things to be okay. I want, I want things to be right. And, and that if, if I have success, then things are right. If I have failure, then man, I feel things are not right. But on the other side, it's, God finds that just as irrelevant. God has no concern on where you are on the moral scale. If you're a naturally good person and you have never not that this is bad, but you had never touched a drop of alcohol onto your lips. If you have never gone to even second base with a girl or a guy outside of marriage. If, 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 you've, if you've never cheated on your taxes or, or uh, parked in a handicapped space when you weren't supposed to. Or you never lied to your wife or to your girlfriend when she asked you to she look fat in these jeans. Or whatever the case may be. You've, if you've been good, you've kept it, you've nailed it every single time or most of the time, generally, again, the sliding scale, like, I only cuss in the times where it's worth cussing. I don't cuss in the gratuitous times. I'll just throw it around. I, I cuss when the bowling ball fell on my shoe and, and, and turned my, uh, the toenail. I have a, right now, I have a, one day when I was leaving here, there was a, 
There's a big gate up in the front, and I was supposed to close the gate. And the gate was broken, and Dale and I were trying, well, as before even Dale came over to try to, to, to help. And I was trying to put all my muscles, don't laugh, I was trying to put all my muscles into lifting this gate up and lock it. And I, I couldn't quite get it, and I dropped it, and it dropped on my big toe. And my big toe turned black. It's, it's nasty. Look, my, my, my daughter looks at it. It's, it's just like, gross. That's terrible. It's all bl- I'm proud of it. It's like black and blue and purple. And I wonder if it's going to fall off. Like it looks pretty, it looks pretty gross. It's pretty like, eh, right now. Uh, but anyway, I, I didn't cuss. So I felt pretty good about myself whenever that happened. But that would have been a case where it been, would have been on the sliding scale, all right, if I cussed. But if you nailed it, if you're as good as I am and you don't cuss when a giant gate falls on your toe and you kind of got it going on and you're okay, then you feel like you're a success. But if you don't, if it's always falling apart, you feel like you're a failure. God considers both of these scales, no matter where you are on those, completely and totally irrelevant. He, has, he is not impressed if you are on the very top of the American dream success scale. And he is not impressed at all if you're on the top of the religion scale. Neither is he disappointed if you're at the bottom of both. If you're a failure in business and life and talent and career, and if you're on the bottom of the religion scale, if you can't keep your stuff together, he is equally neither disappointed or impressed with you on either side of the scale. Why is that? Well, we read at the beginning of Ephesians 2 several weeks ago. We worked through this, and this is why he's not impressed. Verse 1 of chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, your problem wasn't that you're a success or a failure in your career. Neither is is your problem because you're a success or failure in religion. Your problem before you're a Christian is that you were dead. And you were by nature a child of wrath. That apart from a miracle happening in your heart, You were dead. You were separated completely and totally from God. He called, and no matter how hard you tried to be a good person, and no matter how hard you tried to be a success, God God said your righteousness, your goodness, your success on the religion scale is nothing but filthy rags whenever I look at it. It doesn't amount to anything. The very best person who has ever lived. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, I don't know, whoever that person is. The best person that's ever lived. Their whole life, all their good works amount to nothing to God. Because apart from something gracious happening in your heart and in your life, you are absolutely cut off from him. And everything that you do is death and filthiness, and emptiness. And that's why this verse is a summation. It's an amazing summation of how we became believers. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a new creation, this tells you how you became a believer. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace through faith. You see, when God created man in the very beginning, he created all of creation. He created the world. He created the universe. He created Adam and Eve. He created you and I to find our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate meaning, our ultimate rightness, that success scale. He made us to find that in him. Have you ever, ever read the story of Adam and Eve and you see how they're hanging out with each other? The Bible says, amen, that they were naked and not ashamed. Pretty cool gig, you're naked in the garden with a beautiful woman, guys, and, and like she's your wife, and like, hey, you have a cool job, you're in charge of the whole world, and you have a hot honey who doesn't have any clothes on beside you. But what happened whenever they sinned and fell? It says all of a sudden that they were aware that they were naked and they hid themselves. Why? Well, some people say that they, were, they didn't realize it before because they were clothed in the glory of God. I don't know exactly what that means, but it means, means that they were so, they found their, their meaning in life, they found their rightness in life outside of themselves. They found it in God. So that whenever that was taken away, all of a sudden they were aware that they were naked. They were aware that they, that they were left alone. See, sin makes us it puts us on an island. It makes us feel alone and cut off. It makes us full of shame. And so God comes in. And see, this is the tough thing about Christianity. It would be a lot easier if I, if I get up here and tell you guys, okay, here's the problem. Uh, God has some issues with you. The scale's not balancing out right. And so he needs you to be a little bit better. And so what we're gonna do as a church is we're gonna help you be a little bit better. We're gonna help you make sure that you read your Bible more every day and that you pray a little more every day. We're gonna guilt you in and make sure you're here on Sunday mornings that you go to community group in the middle of the week. I'm gonna, we're gonna make sure in those, in those times where we meet together that we, that we, kind of guilt each other into not doing bad things during the week so that we're going to have like an accountability list with each other. And so when we're sitting down, I'm going to ask you, hey, did you look at something bad this week? Did you say something bad this week? Did you do something bad this week? And, and you're not going to do those things because you're embarrassed. I'm going to ask you next Monday. And so this next week, you're going to be a good person because you're just ashamed that if, I, if you do it, you're going to have to tell me that you did it. What we'll be creating, we'll be creating what? people who are successes on the, on the religion scale, but failures because we were, you're so far away from the heart of God. But here's, here's the way Christianity works. He says it's by grace. You guys know what grace is? It means unmerited favor. What are we talking about? America is a meritocracy where you're working on this sliding scale. You can go as far, be as far, be as good, be as powerful, be as rich, be as strong as your talents and your abilities will take you. But God says that doesn't amount to anything in regards to your rightness, your, right, your righteousness, your right standing. He's saying, I am the one who has brought the merit to the table. I am the only one that could live a perfect life in the person of Jesus Christ and die a substitutionary death on your behalf. 
And I did it whenever you were still separated from me and apart from me, when you were far away from me. And not only did I do that whenever you still had showed no interest in me, but I'm the one that came to you and I breathed life in you when you were still dead. When you're dead in your trespasses and sins, I made you alive. It is by grace that you are saved. It's by him stepping in and doing something on your behalf that you could not do. And it's the thing that we're all trying to do, to bit rightness, to feel good and right about my life, but there's all filthy rags apart from him and what he has done for you. He says, not only is it by grace, so I've done it for you on your behalf, whenever you didn't even want it, when you were far away from me, when you had no interest in it, I did it for you, but then he says, it's by grace through faith. So how do you access the grace that he has poured out for you on the cross of Jesus Christ? How do you access that? He says, it's not by, you don't jump through a who, I'm not saying you have to go through an initiation ceremony. You don't have to turn away from the wrong things that you've done. He's saying you access it by faith. What is faith? Faith is arresting. Faith, not arresting, it's resting. It is resting in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ on your behalf. It's seeing his graciousness for you and to you and you resting in that. And he has designed that to be the way salvation works. So if you're today, if you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are because of grace through faith worked in your life. And he tells us that he's described that he has built it in such a way, he has designed salvation to work in such a way, he's designed creation to work in such a way so that he would get all the glory from it and you wouldn't get any. And here's, here's the unique thing about Christianity. Not only is it not by works, but he's designed it so that, so that you would find pleasure in the fact that it's not of your works. Jesus, God didn't lose the battle in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell and he said, oh man, that's terrible, I gotta go to plan B now. God designed the world from the very beginning. He designed salvation from the very beginning. He designed humanity from the very beginning so that after the fall, whenever he came to redeem us by grace, through faith, that he would receive more glory than even if we hadn't fell in the garden. Because today, beforehand, Adam and Eve, they, they needed God, but we need him even more than Adam and Eve needed him before the fall. Because not only is he your re the reason for your life, but he is the reason today that you haven't been swallowed up under the wrath of God. That it's, it's him that purchased your salvation by grace when you were far away from him. And not only was he the one who purchased your salvation for you, but he himself was the price that was paid for it. Jesus Christ was the price. His blood was the price that was paid. And then God was the one that received the purchase price. So if you think about it, your salvation as a transaction that happens at the grocery store, he's the cashier that's standing behind the cashier, the, the 
cash register. He's the one that is the actual money that is being exchanged. He's the one that is receiving it. He's the one that's giving the money. He's on all sides of the transaction. And we get to stand by, by and watch him do it for us on our behalf. By grace, through faith, not of works. Your faith is not a work. You didn't make a decision one day that made you smarter than somebody else because if it's based upon your decision, hey, I made a decision for Jesus one day, somebody got up and they shared the gospel in a place like this or sat down and sketched out the bridge diagram across from, from me on the table on, on, a, on a napkin with, over coffee. And, and so I became a believer because I saw that it made a lot of sense. If it was your decision, then it would be based on works. But it's not of works. He designed it from the very beginning before he created the foundation of the world that he would be the one that would receive all the glory. He'd receive all the boasting. He's the one, if it was a football game, he would be the quarterback. He would be the center that hiked the ball. He'd be the quarterback that took the ball. He would be the receiver that received the ball and he'd be the coach that drew it all up. We'd be the ones in the stands that are watching it. By grace, through faith, not of works, so that nobody would boast. So that you and I would be able to find joy. And this is what happens in regeneration when God's spirit comes and dwells inside me and remakes me. All of a sudden, I find joy in the fact that it's not of any of my works. That though I may be a success or failure on the American dream scale, or I may be a success or failure on the religion scale, no matter where I fall in that, I take pleasure. That is all dung. It is all, Paul called it a word that would be translated like crap. I said crap in church. We're in a gym, so it's okay. He said, I consider it all of my works. I was, I was the deal. I went to Sunday school every day. I had a star beside my name on every Sunday. I went to seminary. I aced it. I graduated at the top of my class. I was the number one Christian. I had it going on, but I consider that all crap in comparison to knowing him. I, I take great pleasure in the fact that it is all of Christ. It is all of him and his work so that I cannot boast. Christianity is a, a changing of boasting. Because see, if you're a success on the American dream scale, you can boast. You made it. You're living in that house, you're driving that car, you're wearing those clothes, you finished grad school, you did whatever because you were smart enough, cool enough, good looking enough, had it together, sharp enough, shrewd enough, you made it to the top. You can boast. I can boast because I didn't have sex until I got married. I never tasted a drop of alcohol. I never listened to rock and roll. I only listened to Sandy Patty and Twyla Paris and Caleb every day. That's all that I do when I ride around town. And every single word is just like, oh, praise Jesus. I love him so much. God bless you. But it's all, that's all crap in God's eyes. And we find our ultimate joy as believers, all of a sudden, not in my works, not what I can boast in, but I boast in the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. For it is by grace, through faith, and this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm going to read this other verse, and we'll be, we'll be done. Romans 3, 23. He's saying the same thing. I just want to show it to you in a separate section. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's saying that, he's saying that any scale you put up, we always fall short. And are justified. That's what we're searching for. We're searching for rightness to be, we're searching to be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a payment by his blood to be received by faith. To be received by faith. We as a church, we as a community of faith, we don't wanna be known as good people or we're gonna talk about all the good works that we're supposed to be doing next week. That's the other, other half that's gonna fall, the other shoe to fall. We don't wanna be known as good people. We wanna be known as a people who have experienced grace through faith and who consider their goodness or their badness as crap in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. And to knowing Jesus Christ in such a way Understanding that it is all of grace through faith so that we can't boast. That's what we want to be known as. Because you know how Christians get a bad name in, in our culture? Well, there's lots of ways that happens. But one way it happens is they see a people who are uptight about morals but don't care about their neighbor. They see people who are uptight about whether somebody is a homosexual on a TV show, but we're not, but our lives, though we're uptight about that, our lives don't show the, the goodness and beauty that Jesus Christ showed in his life. But the only path to that kind of life, the only path to that kind of heart is through understanding that it's not by works. So I don't have anything to boast about. So today, if you're here and you have a horrible background and you came to Jesus Christ just by the skin of your teeth, or if you're here today and you lived a really great moral life, a good life, we're all in the same boat together. It is by grace through faith. And that not of works, lest any man should boast. So that should, that should again, it should affect the way that we relate to each other as believers. That, that we should take, that we should be keeping count of how many times each other fall or mess up. But we should be pointing each other in those times to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Not of works, only by him. So we're going to, the, the band's going to come up in a moment. They're going to play a song, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. And then as we take communion and sing together as a community of believers, we're going to do so thinking about how it is all of the works of Jesus Christ on my behalf, that I have nothing to boast in. In fact, if I boast in anything, it's that I was a terrible person before Christ found me.
And that if he were to withdraw his hand from me today, I would be horrible, far away from him, his heart, no matter what kind of person I am, good or bad, successful or, or a failure. And I would partake of the free gift of the bread, which is his body, and the, and the juice, which is his blood. All of him, so that no one may boast. In fact, our only boasting is in how sufficient he is in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your gospel. I thank you for the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. God, that um, the problem with us um, wasn't that we were bad people. The problem wasn't with us that we were immoral people. The problem with us was that we were dead. The problem with us is that no matter what scale we found ourselves in, no matter what measurement that we were using, uh, we could never measure up. And so, Father, I pray for those of us here today that are, um, we all deal with that sliding scale still in our lives. No matter whether we've been a Christian one week or 30 years, we still, still deal with this sliding scale. And I feel like when I, when I read my Bible enough that Jesus is sort of checking off and he's like pleased with that. Uh, when I don't say bad words or I don't do this or I do that, that he's checking it off. We fall under the delusion from society around us that tells us that the pathway to success is to prove your own merit, to make our own way, to make enough money or to live in the right house or to be cool enough to have enough experiences so that we, uh, we measure up. We, ha- we are justified. But that justification comes from nowhere other than by grace through faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. God, I pray for that you would convict us. I pray you would convict me. pray your Holy Spirit would come in a way that I, I can't do, that none of us can make happen in our own hearts, that your Holy Spirit would come right now and speak to every person in this room. And I pray you would bring conviction on areas of our life that we have been boasting in. We may not say it out loud, but we think it. I'm boasting in my ability, I'm boasting in my success, I'm boasting in my popularity, I'm boasting in my goodness, I'm boasting in that I didn't do that thing. And that thing is far worse than the thing that I have done. Father, I pray you would bring conviction this morning into our hearts. And we would see that there was nothing to boast in outside of what you have done for us. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus.
when we're when we're in the stupor of our own of our own successes, our own feeling like we, we kind of got it going on. It's 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 his love that comes pouring into our hearts that awakens us to the, the foolishness that we find ourselves in. Trying to find our own justification, our own right standing of thinking that you can be successful, that you have it going on. So as we gather this morning around the bread and the juice, I want, I want us to be aware of his freely given, graciously given love to us. Not just to you, but to us. To you personally and to us together. And, and find joy and freedom and peace in the fact that it's not up to you. That your goodness or your badness or your got it togetherness, your success means nothing. That can be incredibly disorienting and disappointing at first until you experience the freedom that it's all taken care of. It's all taken care of whenever he he stretched his arms out on that tree and his body was broken for you. It was secured It's not based upon your emotions. It's not based upon your performance. It's not based upon your check boxes that you've checked off this week or in your life. He was secured whenever his hands, his feet, and his side poured out the blood for the remission, forgiveness, the washing away of your sins. So come and as you feel led, as you feel free, come and partake of the, the body and the blood that was broken and shed for you.